Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists. My guest this week is Michael Norman Gute, and he is an artist of some renown in the Detroit area. And he is going to talk to us today about how that all came about. How did he become an artist and what in the world do you do to make beautiful art in the world and why? So welcome, Michael. Hi, Tia. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I've been listening to your show all week while I exercise outside, by the way. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it's a good show, so I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you. So w- when you started to do artwork, let's go back to the very beginning. Was it something that was in your household or was it something that you just started on your own or was somebody around doing art or are you the black fish in the family? Uh, first of all, I would say I'm definitely a black sheep in my family, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think probably all artists feel that way. I've been contemplating this because I feel I'm relatively young in my art career and re- relatively young in life. And so I don't have that perspective of looking back and really seeing 2020 vision. But I do know some of the just the facts of the progression of being an artist in my life. And I found that I started to create art after my parents got a divorce when I was like 11 years old. And I think maybe that had something to do with it. Anybody who comes from a home where your parents divorce or any kind of experience that you have where the life that you know, that you grew up with is uprooted and it's different. I think that kind of forces a kid to maybe find coping skills or find a way to make sense of their changed environment. And I think maybe that's how the seeds of art started to sprout in my life. And they grew over the years and it just became a way that I express myself and a coping skill for other things. Did you start clay? Did you start with start right away with painting? Did you start with multimedia things did you I mean did, was there a teacher in particular that stood out for you or that helped you see the way or I remember it was literally the first painting that I ever did or, or the first painting that I ever approached with the mentality that I'm going to be this artist person and uh, that I took it very seriously and I remember it was an acrylic painting and it was of a wheat field during a a lightning storm which I don't know what ever happened to that painting but I I just jumped right into the painting and it was something I did you know privately I didn't really show anybody my work and then eventually 
I started to explore this more seriously. And when I got to high school, we had the art classes Mm -hmm. and I had a fabulous art teacher. I think every good art artist usually starts off with a mentor, whether it be another artist or a teacher. I was lucky enough to have both. And uh, she was actually just featured on your show. And I her. Your, the talk that you and her had was just fabulous. So anybody listening to this now, scroll down and, and listen to the Marty Little Lametti interview that you had with her. She's, she's really the one that planted the big seeds in my life to make art important to me, to give art space in my life. And it's been in my life ever since, and it's grown ever since. She was really the, the beginning for me and continues to be a wonderful, good friend. I guess I'm actually trying to get down to the tactility of it. The because you were talking about even prior to high school, you started painting with acrylics. Now, did you just say, "Mom, Dad, I'm going to the paint store. Get me some acrylic paints," or did you just sneak into a store one day and say, "This looks like something I want to buy"? Or what? At some point, like you owned it before everybody else got involved. And can you imagine that or remember that at all? Or I remember that I, my, on my father's side, we have like generations of craftsmen and artists. So art making wasn't something that was totally foreign to my dad. Mm-hmm. He's a woodworker and his dad was a poet, published poet, an artist, uh, painter, sculptor. And they were big influences on me, I think. So if I had to guess where I got my first grouping of art supplies, it was my dad. I remember he would look uh, in the newspaper for artists who were having studio sales or when an artist would, like a local artist, when they die, their studio gets cleared out by their family and it's like art supplies, really cheap. So I remember my dad taking me to an estate sale to buy oil paint from this guy and he had passed away. His studio was a complete mess and mine is too now. And to be honest, oil paint lasts a long time. And I still use some of the oil paint that I got from that estate sale when I was like 15. It's one of those things when you buy things for yourself too later on. Because I, I remember the first time I had to buy a, a set of strings for myself and I got to choose which strings they were. And I remember the first time I bought a bow that was a huge deal because bows can be as much as a car, but it was like, wow, I bought my own bow. <laughs> That's so empowering too. And it is. I remember I, in high school, I struggled with, I, I struggled with all of life's turmoils, but particularly a place to live, the basic needs, getting to school and things. And I did have supportive parents, mm-hmm. but I, there were some issues. And I remember looking around town and driving around town with my friends. And I would pull things out of the trash or on the side of the curb. I'd pull like old window frames so that I can stretch canvas over those. Mm-hmm. I remember using cardboard, like other found objects that I could paint on. And in a way I was doing it because I had to, but it was also empowering to know that I can find materials no matter what. And, and I can find them all around me and transform them. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was a really empowering part of art making in those early years. 
Did you follow any um, particular artists that you looked at their work and said, oh, that's really inspiring to me, like Basquiat or anybody or? Oh, for sure. All of the favorites that you see in the books. I love Basquiat and Picasso and, and all of those people that we learn about. But there were local artists in my hometown, which is Wausau, Michigan, mm-hmm. near Flint and near Lansing. And Wausau has this strange history with artists. In fact, we're known for Frederick Carl Friesica, which is a famous artist who lived there and was who born who was born there. He worked with Monet. And there are a lot of artists who live there and people who value art there. Marty lives there. I live there. And there was an artist, there is an artist who lives there now. And he goes by the name Xavier. And he was a huge inspiration to me. So I was really inspired by the art that I could actually see. Now, when you saw all of this art, did you make trips down to Detroit? How did you end up in Detroit? I ended up in Detroit through this, through my academic studies. I have this duality in my life that's always existed where I want to be an artist and I I work as an artist, but I always wanted to go to college and I didn't necessarily want to go to college for art, although My bachelor's degree is in art history and I studied painting and historic preservation, but I went on to get a master's degree in museum administration. And that degree took me to Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti. And when I finished there, I decided to pursue another degree in business at Wayne State University, where I also work as a fundraiser. So that took me to Detroit and it was the springboard for me being a Detroit artist, which now feeds so much of what I do and so much of how I create. I love being a Detroit artist and the artists there are fantastic. What kinds of things are different? It's just more people, more opportunities, different looks at things or what's changed from Owasso to Detroit with your art? I think that A big difference is Detroit is an urban environment and urban environments have diversity and diversity, not just with people, but diversity in adversities and issues and causes and aspirations. And all of that, I think, feeds into my life. I like to be in a place where it is imbued with opportunities And you just never know what kind of day you're going to have when you live in a place as diverse as Detroit. Mm -hmm. I also really appreciate history. And Detroit has an entirely different history than I'm used to. It has a history that takes a lot of effort to understand. And I have to respect the history of Detroit in order to totally understand it. And it informs how I move forward with my life and how I create my work. I know that when I walk in my neighborhood in Detroit, that I'm walking on land that that people sacrificed on and worked hard for and had dreams come true and dreams broken on. And I really love that about Detroit's all about perseverance and struggle. Yeah, I think that's what artists thrive on is making it through. Yeah, maybe when you're younger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I'm done with the struggle. I don't want to struggle anymore. (laughs) 
and, and I want to thrive instead of survive. I think that might truly just be experiential time. It's any larger urban environment is that str- struggling thing is it just wears you out. You don't have any time or space left to do the art or think about art when you're struggling. Absolutely. Yeah. If an artist can find a way to channel it into their work to make their work grow and expand, then it can inform the direction that their paintings go Mm -hmm. and ultimately inform their career. And being an artist is being a hustler. You have to work for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself. And that's why I pursued a master in business with Wayne State, because I want to know how to be an entrepreneur. And I want that confidence to not only be the artist, but to also be the business person and the salesperson. And you have to have both, which is a lesson I learned really early through some of my mentors that you've got to make the art and you've got to figure out how to hustle and sell it. True that. Now, does that inform the sizes of your work at all, as far as the hustling and the selling of your works? Because I know some people just like to work with super large, but they can never sell them because they're just yeah. too big. And then some people work really small, but those are really hard to do repetitively because there's such tiny works that it hurts their wrist or their or the carpal tunnel band in their arms, or it causes repetitive use injuries and things like that. How does that part inform your work? I think that everybody has to set boundaries for themselves. And usually for me, it's okay, what can I afford to limit myself with? For example, I really don't like doing commissions. That's really hard for me to do. I feel like it steals my my creativity from me. So that's like a boundary for me. It's As far as size with my art, you're right. I don't know why artists or many artists love to paint big. I love to paint big. I feel the most freedom when I paint big. And I've actually had pretty good success selling larger paintings, but I am conscious about that and conscious about the size of my work. I don't really mind offering a large breadth of size, but subject matter, I, I like to paint what I want to paint. And I made a commitment early on that I'm going to create art because I'm going to create art that I'm interested in, that I love to do. If I'm not doing it in a way that fills my soul, then it's not worth doing. Mm-hmm. So those are the I limit the subject matter. I'm not going to paint a landscape if it sells better. I'm going to paint a landscape because it's what I feel like doing that day. Mm-hmm. And that is really empowering for me to be able to say no, which I think that's a word artists certainly need to learn to use more. <laughs> I agree. We're not, we don't say no enough. Mm-hmm. And then some of us don't say yes enough. So there's a balance. There's definitely a balance. When you're looking at a painting, in your mind's eye, I should say. Do you ruminate about it first or do you just say, here's an empty canvas, it's this size, I was really thinking about this thing that I wanted to do and then you start or do you plan it out first or what kind of a painter are you? So I approach paintings and when I have an idea, I scurry through my scrapbook, I scurry through the internet and I collect images. I collect things that inspire me. It's sometimes other artists and their art 
but usually it's like images I see in the news or most often images I see throughout art history, whether it be figures or a tree or a situation or something that's very familiar throughout the canon of art history. But I take these, these images and I literally put them in Photoshop sometimes and I make these vision boards, even work out a composition that I like. Okay. And I use that kind of like a framework for my art or for a painting. And I'll even go as far as projecting that onto a blank canvas and using that structure. And I start to draw and I start to create. And then the projector gets turned off and I'm on my own doing the work. So yes, it starts with a vision, but very soon after I start working, the plan goes away and I let the drawing tell me what it wants to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, a really wonderful artist named George Kondo, he said that he approaches a painting like walking into the woods without a map, I think he said. So I approach it that way. I start with an idea and I let it unfold and tell me what it needs to be. I'm just a vehicle for the materials. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a big risk to paint like that because sometimes you go down a rabbit hole, but I always, I always seem to find a way to bring it all together into something that I wanted to express. It's very much akin to doing improvisational work. Now, when you do this stuff, is it a quiet room or is it outside or is it at night that you mostly work or do you (laughs) use music? I wish I could tell you that I have a beautiful, lofty, bright studio with big windows and my own sink. No, I am a little, I'm a little artist in the basement of a Detroit house, working on paintings at midnight under lamps and with a messy floor and cardboard underneath my feet. And I think that's how most artists are. We're just in these private little spaces that really look just like our minds. And it's a space that's, it's a space where I feel the most alive. A lot of people might describe an artist as somebody who creates art as a way to escape life or escape the turmoils of living. Mm-hmm. But I find that when I'm painting, it's when I am alive the most. Mm-hmm. I paint to live, not to escape. Okay. So if I was going to tell you, oh, I had this thought about what this music sounded like, a shaft of white light that came out of a dark space of terror and encompassed the world. Does that give you a visual image right away? Or does it just, oh, I wouldn't want to paint that. (laughs) That's actually really spot on to what I've been interested in lately is light and (laughs) so yeah like something like that I can see I can see how uh, I'm already getting like visuals but I can't describe them Um, that's fine but I just I I was just curious because everybody sees things in a different way and I will see visuals like I want at some point in my life I want to make films but I don't know if I'm actually going to go into that but I've always wanted to because I see things visually but it's the soundtrack that I create. What does a musician see when they're playing? That's the thing. Everybody's different, of course. I don't see anything when I'm playing. I usually don't see anything until I 
hear the recording. Oh. Because usually I'm improvising. I'll hear it. I'll hear something. And I'm just literally just listening to something that's already there. And I'm mm-hmm. just echoing it. And then it go places. And then I use, when I start to lose that thread, I'll, it'll be a start of an idea that I'm hearing in space. And then I'll create, repeat that sound in the, into this world or this reality. And then sometimes I can't hear it anymore. So then I'll just use the art, the skills that I've already developed to bring it into fruition. And then I channel it into something so that it has a shape. That feels a lot like painting. Mm-hmm. When an observer asks, what were you thinking when you painted this? Or what were you thinking when you made this art? I never know what to say because I'm not thinking. But you're using that intuition, that inner voice, that whatever that is, that guiding muse inside of us, mm-hmm. that's just taking over. It's not a logical thing. It's you turn over your will to this. And then when it's all over, you stand back and then you apply meaning to it. Agreed. And and, and it sounded like a similar idea when we were speaking earlier about that. So the part that's tricky for people is to understand that. So we're talking about struggle as an artist and paying the bills. And so you've got a job at what, Wayne State that's in right. fundraising. So it's, wow, <laughs> <laughs> those, in a, and those are like so disparate that <laughs> it's like, oh, how do you jump from that in your day gig to go home to your little cave yeah. in the basement and create art? <laughs> I really believe that every part of our lives work can work really well together and every part of our lives can support each other to create really special circumstances for us to thrive. And I have found that being a professional fundraiser in the day has actually informed so much my business acumen as an artist because fundraising is really just managing the expectations of the donors. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is customer service. I take care of these generous people to help their dreams come true and realize their philanthropic vision at Wayne State. And I use those skills to take care of my customers. I love the people who buy my art. They are everything to me. So it's actually helped me do better business and better customer service and paying close attention to these people and treating them well, sending them a card, checking in on their birthday, thanking them profusely and in creative ways for supporting me as an artist. And then also showing them the successes that I have in my career because they're part of every step I take in my career. They've been there for me. So I think it actually ties in really well. So would you tell students of art or in art school to focus more on the business? I would say that it is absolutely necessary to approach it as a combination of both. And frankly, it's been, I think it comes really natural to the generation Z. I have a 16 year old niece and 16-year-olds all talk about their brand now. They live in this online world where they 
are using Instagram or using TikTok to create polished images of themselves and they're selling themselves. They're selling maybe the fact that they're cool or the fact that they don't care. Really creating any online presence is marketing yourself and presenting yourself in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think the future generation of artists are going to be more naturally inclined to just advocate for themselves and have that more entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. So I would give that advice to a younger person and tell them to nurture that natural instinct that generation has, because it's a gift. And what would you say to the older uh, art people who are out there? Because there's a whole lot of artists that might have 40, 50 years of experience that are actually well-known, but they don't have any clue about marketing or internet or any of that stuff. Oh, no. It's, you know what? And frankly, that kind of stuff doesn't really come natural to me. So I have to force myself to try new things. I have to force myself to look at what other artists are doing. And that's the advice that I would give. Mm-hmm. If you aren't exploring new things and trying to learn new things, then, you know, you, it's just not going to work. You've got to give in, join Mm -hmm. the club and create the online account, create a website. And the internet is amazing because I can literally just ask whatever kind of question I need. And usually somebody's already asked it Mm -hmm. and it just pops up. So I think it's just about diving in and embracing being uncomfortable and embracing these, these other things. Facebook is at least the most accessible thing to older artists, I would say. And that's a good place to start. I definitely have talked to artists that have just done stuff forever and they just, they have music that's out there. Uh, that's been out there, wonderful albums that people loved when they came out, but it's like, this is old now. I'm like, yeah, but there's a whole three, four or five generations that have never heard this music. So you could still sell it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, whole new audiences could hear your music and all of a sudden you're hot again. And they're like, oh, you could do that? Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. It's true. And art can have multiple lives. Thing, the meaning changes and the way people see things change. So absolutely. That's the beauty of sharing new things, sharing old things to make them new. And it is nice to hear. We've had, I think it's YouTube, I think right now, there's all these different young people. They're teenagers that have never heard the Eagles or or could be any number of artists that they just, from the 60s or 50s, the 70s, the 80s, never heard these songs. And they're playing and they're having the first reaction to these songs on air. And it's that's pretty amazing. They were like, oh, that's really great. Uh, and they're like so surprised that they like this music from 50 years ago. Um, <laughs> but it's very fun to, to watch it because all I know is the sample from four generations after the original song. Say, so, oh, that's mm-hmm. such and such a song. Oh, really? That's not the sample. That's the original. Oh, wow. I like that better. And you're like, yeah, we were trying to tell you that. Um, the older <laughs> folks. So, so anyhow, I know I'm going on a um, rabbit hole. But so what kinds of things are you working on right now? Lately, every artist has a pandemic story. And I would say all through 2020, I was, I I even created paintings that directly referenced the pandemic and directly referenced social distancing, 
but as well as violence, for the first time I explored violence. But now I'm finding that I have, I'm giving myself permission to take my time. I'm giving myself more permission than ever to create paintings that I'm interested in. And to my surprise, other people seem to appreciate them also. I'm abandoning some of my old approaches. Like I was uh, saying earlier, I use reference images and often put them together and sometimes use a projector to springboard off of. And I've actually been abandoning that a little bit lately and really just putting my hand to a blank canvas and just drawing and seeing what comes out. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it, it feels almost like meditation. Uh, every painting feels like a prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say, I guess to sum it all up, I'm painting for myself right now, the most I've ever had before. I want my paintings to look like stained glass windows, refracting light, using shape and shadow and jewel tone colors. And I've been focusing on that, like visions of heaven. <laughs> That's needed right now, I think, in the world. You're picking up on that. That is needed in the world right now, with some light. Absolutely. So, that's good. And that's something on this show that we, I talk about all the time. I said, artists know that you're doing what you need to be doing, and that's to make art, period. No matter what's going on, make art, because that's what you're here for. And you know that because that's what you do. And that's what you always have done. And that's probably what you will always will do, <laughs> is make art. Absolutely. So it's about taking responsibility for the calling that you feel inside. Mm -hmm. If you feel like an artist, or I could even open that up, no matter what, if you feel like there's something you should be doing in your life, whether that's being a, a parent or being a business person or being an artist, if you have that calling inside, you have to hear it. You have to listen to it. And then you've got to take responsibility one day for it and start doing it. Mm -hmm. Take a step towards doing it. And I struggled for a long time taking responsibility for that calling. There were years where I thought maybe I don't want to be an artist. And just a few years ago, I made the decision to really accept this and take it as far as I can. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it feels good to be in line with what it feels like you're supposed to do. Now, prior to making that decision did you feel like you were stuck did you feel like you're fighting something that's that struggle that I think of when I think of struggle total identity crisis in the beginning of our talk here I mentioned all these degrees that I went on to pursue I thought that college was a way for me to maybe escape this responsibility of being an artist because it's scary to be an artist it's scary to lean into that because I was thinking, oh, what if I fail? Or what if I don't make enough money? Or what if I'm not that good and people are just being nice to me? So I abandoned these ideas because of that fear. And I certainly do not regret going to college because I think an education is an extremely important foundation. And frankly, it gave me my day job, which allows me to pay the bills mm -hmm. and say no to those commissions or to, to be able to paint what I want and not worry too much about selling. 
Mm -hmm. And that was a great gift that I gave myself. So I think during those years, I felt conflicted about who I wanted to be or, and who I needed to be in order to be successful in life. But I knew that being a, a professional wasn't going to cut it for me. I needed to have art somehow in my life. And I'm really grateful that I have both now. And we're grateful too. So thank yeah. you. For, thank, thank you for following the muse on that. <laughs> so where is the best place for people to find you? I think the best place for people to find me, if you're not searching the basements of Detroit, would be my website, which is guteworks.com. That's G-U-T-E-W-O-R-K-S.com. I uh, work hard on my website and I like to share all types of things on my site, my newest work, my Instagram feed, which if you want to find me on Instagram, that's M-N-G-U-T-E. So M-N-G-U-T-E. And I'm also represented by Embrace Creatives which is a fabulous platform that tries to connect art lovers and designers with artists throughout the country. They do focus on local artists and that's embracecreatives.com that I'm there. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some time with me this afternoon in, and sharing with my audience and, and all the best of luck with everything. And we'll keep track of you and, and we'll have you on again. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to chat about art and business and following your muse. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artists. Make sure to visit our website, tiaviolin.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate your comments and we'll mind them to bring you more amazing episodes. I would like to thank this inaugural season sponsors, the folks at Jazz Alliance of Bend, Michigan, or JAM. Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, is a partner in supporting the Tia Time podcast and Sham Bones Music. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much. If you would also like to contribute to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. If you want to continue the conversation about topics discussed in the show or start new ones with like-minded people, Join us at the Tia Time Lounge on Facebook. Thank you for listening. See you next week at Tia Time. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artists. Make sure to visit our website at tiaviolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan ArtShare, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. And also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.